Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts, here on Tuesday following the, uh, I don't know, is catastrophe too strong in East Lansing? Because I, I don't know that that's too strong. Can I call it a catastrophe? You guys be the judge. It sort of is in some ways because it's, yeah, it's fine. Uh, people, you can, use, you can use any words you want right now and people are like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I I don't I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think that's a a good way to, especially the second half. That was the whole thing was catastrophic, but particularly the last four minutes, it was it was bad, very bad. So we can we can put this in the annals of time as the Cornhusker catastrophe. Can I? I mean, somebody on the board asked if it was time to sacrifice a little red, and I frankly don't know what they're waiting on. Yeah, I, I, that should have happened, you know, before the Illinois game, really. I mean, take them out to midfield and be done with them. They can pick up the leftover polyester and move on from there. Just uh, do the gladiator thing and ask if you're entertained or you're not entertained. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would be entertained by the execution of uh, Little Red, but I would certainly be okay with the end result. I think you'd be a little entertained. You'd smirk. <laughs> I don't know if this qualifies as today's banter or not. <laughs> it's it's dark. It's dark banter. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I mean, I know Nebraska lost that game Saturday, but I don't know if we we have to be this dark. But all right. So Brian and I were there. Brunch, you were home. What? Uh, where do we want to go with this? You want to start with the defensive performance that was about as good as we've seen Nebraska do in, in a while uh, in that second half? Do we want to go with special teams right off the bat? Do we want to talk about the offense? Is there something else you'd like to discuss? More mascots. Who should be sacrificed first? How, how woodshedy was it there? It didn't, it didn't look very woodshedy on TV. They have a nice campus at East Lansing that's surrounded by uh, red cedar trees, but um, – the amount of woodshed jokes that were not allowed to be used because Nebraska lost that game has to be in the thousands at this point in time. They had a nice garden space. Is that what that was that we were walking through? Yeah, that was a botanical garden. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I need these things explained to me. I mean, it looked pleasant to the eye. And I told uh, Schaefer we should do some sort of artistic thing where we just stand in the botanical garden and cover the game from afar, like let the noises tell us what's going on. But we decided to go inside the stadium. It was the right decision for about uh, <laughs> three and a half quarters. We would have known the roar, though, from the botanical garden of a bad Nebraska special team. <laughs> you would have heard that. <sighs> You'd have been like, oh. I bet that was either a block field goal returned 85 yards for a touchdown, A, or B, a seven-yard punt, or C, 62-yard return where half the teams – where 10 of the guys are on the other side of the field. Just call it Huskers and horticulture? <laughs> yeah. You guys would look at each other and be like, man, that sounded catastrophic. <laughs> so – You can – go ahead, Bruns. Well, I – let's start with defense. Let's, let's work our way back from there. <laughs> so that, that defensive effort, that would, have, that would not have looked out of place in 2009. Is that fair to say? 
No. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I answered that weird. <laughs> that is fair to say. Let me just phrase it that way. And and what did you guys at getting to see that up close? I mean, what was what what did you see? Because it just seemed like Nebraska was really just, you know, it was like a wrestling match, and Nebraska was just, you know, in total control of that match. Yeah, I mean, part of the in bringing it back to the word, use of the word catastrophe, the catastrophe is that you waste such a brilliant performance, you know, by one of your sides of the football. It was uh, five series on the field in the second half, 15 snaps, 14 yards surrendered against a team that had been running through people so far. I'm not saying they've played the best competition to date, but they played Miami. They played Northwestern. They played a couple teams with a pulse. And uh, yeah, you felt like, I guess the easiest way to put it is when Nebraska's defense is on the field, I feel like right now they have a complete sort of control like you're at ease when they're out there and you expect something good to happen whereas offense something good could happen but you're sort of on edge like uh is something terrible just around the corner and that's the difference between the two sides of the ball yeah it's it's interesting because in the second quarter from sitting up there it looked like michigan state had sort of started to open some holes in the second level Nebraska had a couple of sort of touchdown saving tackles on Kenneth Walker that held him to like sort of six yard runs or seven yard runs that looked like it could have been a lot worse based on the size of the hole. And I remember going into halftime thinking like Nebraska is lucky to get out of that quarter because it didn't go so well. They made some adjustments and just came out and played fantastic. And, you know, there's uh, no shortage of great individual performances when stuff like that happens. And of course, for me, it starts in the middle. And, and I've long said that the three, four defense for it to really work, you got to have that guy that can control things right there at nose tackle. And Damian Daniels has had great games this year, but nothing was better than his second half performance. I mean, he only finished with four assisted tackles, which is sort of the, the most lying statistic ever because he was fantastic in that game. I mean, he was opening big creases for his linebackers to come off of. Uh, he was chasing Kenneth Walker out of the middle, right into Garrett Nelson and JoJo Doman on the outside, Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich as well. He just did such a great job controlling the middle of that game that they could, they had no answer for him. I mean, they really didn't know what to do with one guy right in the middle of, of the field. And uh, you, you just saw everyone else play off of that really well. And I, I thought that, you know, we talk about, you know, Nebraska, playing with a little bit of confidence on defense you just saw that build possession after possession after possession where it finally kind of gets to that point where I think Garrett Nelson had a big stop and like did this like jump kick celebration and then the very next play you got like three Huskers meeting at Peyton Thorne for a sack to get off the field and they just it felt like they were really building off of each other and there's a ton of trust there I mean I think the biggest difference between the defense and the rest of these units is there just seems to be a lot of trust and each guy is going to go and do his job. I'll do my job. And collectively we're going to be able to get off the field. And that's, they did it over and over and over on Saturday against Michigan state. And, and, um, you know, there's, there's still a long way for them to go before they're going to be a, a great defense. As you think of it, traditionally, they're still not the best in terms of pass rush. You still would like to see him force more fumbles. 
but they flow to the ball really well and they make you beat them over and over and over. And they they had one breakdown in that game and that was on a flea flicker. Really? They, they have more than one, but the, the one that really got them was that flea flicker. And even then if miles farmer doesn't slip, he's at least somewhat in the neighborhood, you know, maybe he's able to get a, a, a pass breakup or something there or can hit the guy. Uh, but overall, just a really strong performance on Saturday. Well, you got to you got to figure a Mel Tucker coach team is going to get at least at least one flea flicker in there. So pretty remarkable that he went to that well as early as he did and it hit again. Yeah, and it's to to kind of go back to a position group that just played play their asses off. I mean, the the inside linebackers in that game were phenomenal. I mean, Luke Reimer and Nick Henrik. You know, there 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 wasn't a lot of leaky yards after they made contact with Kenneth Walker. I mean, there was that, that play early in the first quarter on third and six where Luke Reimer comes from the opposite side of the field, gets through the wash, and pulls Kenneth Walker down short of the, the first down marker and forces a punt. I mean, that those are the types of plays that, that they've been making the last couple of weeks that you're like, okay, like these guys have definitely taken a step forward as a group. I mean, and, and, you know, as unspectacular as the the outside backers have been in the pass rush at times, I think they've been more than serviceable everywhere else. I mean, it's – and and to do it against a a running back that that really, you know, the the talk coming in, and we talked about it, was you got to tackle well. He led the the country and – uh, yards after contact and broken tackles. So th- that that group really more than any flashed to me uh, beyond Daniels and Mike mentioned too. Garrett Nelson, I liked him after the game because he was – he threw it in our face a little, which is fine. That's fair. About basically making a big deal about the 8.7 or whatever Kenneth Walker was averaging. And it's just like, eh. You could tell – I mean, basically the last two weeks – there's sort of been this sort of concern talk, like, can they hang in there with this style of offense? Can they hang in there with that style of offense? And they've been kind of confident. You could sit, sense it both weeks, like, it will be fine. And sure enough, they were. And real quick on the Damian Daniels thing, you talk about when a defense is really playing well. I always think of it, when, when I trust a defense, I love when the opponent gets into like a third and one where it's, it's like a little piece of cheese, like in a trap. Like it feels like they got you in a good down and distance, but you know, they're going to try to run it. And Nebraska so far in those type of situations has been very good this season. Like, you know, the first drive of the second half for Michigan state, I think that was the play where Daniels just completely blew it up. Like, I mean, pushed the guy like three yards in the backfield and it was done when it started. And it, that's when you, I always think of a defense as really humming when a team has them in a sort of short yardage situation, but you actually believe the defense is going to win anyway. And that's sort of how I feel about Nebraska right now. We want to, we want to jump over to offense before we, we get into special teams. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk offense. So there's a few things going on here. I mean, obviously the offensive line looks like it's headed to a big shift as this Northwestern game comes up. Um, you know, that was, was a talking point on Monday. It, I have to imagine continued here uh, on, on Tuesday as, as more people met with the media. Nebraska still doesn't have kind of a running game that's traditional that you can sort of rely on besides Adrian Martinez. 
And their passing game, while good against Oklahoma, I thought sort of regressed a little bit against Michigan State. They, and some of that is out of their control. I don't know what happened, but Xavier Betts wasn't available in the second half of that game. And that changes the dynamic of the offense a little bit because suddenly you don't have Betts, you don't have Martin, you uh, you don't have another outside wide receiver. Toure gets moved from outside wide or from the slot to the outside. Brody Belt's getting some more run inside the slot. Levi Falk is on the field more. Uh, and it just felt like Nebraska's passing game. And I know they threw for like 280. It, it felt like it took a little bit of a step back after how efficient it was against um, against Oklahoma and, and sort of the chances that Adrian was willing to take over the middle of the field. You didn't get a lot of that on Saturday. And I, I walked away from it a little bit disappointed because I thought that they had made some strides there. And it just felt like there was some throws in that game he wouldn't make or he didn't take. And then there were some throws he outright missed. And I still just wonder at what point is this team going to be better in the red zone passing the ball? They just don't take, I mean, the play to Omar Manning, like that's a call. You're really going to do that. You're going to run a wide receiver screen against three on one with your blockers, with one of your slower wide receivers. Like I just, I, I find myself just, confused by what it is they want to attack in a passing concept or why they're so unwilling to attack uh, with the the height that they have with these tight ends. And so I thought the passing game took a step back. The overall offense still continues to have issues scoring. Um, 20 points a game just isn't going to cut it most weeks. Uh, and it leaves you with a really thin margin for error. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see the first drive of the second half, if people can remember to it, they moved it very well down to the 10 yard line. And they've done this a few times where they've, and Matt Lubick's talked about, you need to run the ball in the red zone. And I, there's truth to that, of course. But when you're on first and goal from like the nine or 10 yard line, you're in a situation where most times you're going to have to, unless you get a good run on first down where you pop one down to like the two yard line, you're going to have to throw it in. You're going to have to have somebody make a play, somebody make a throw. And they didn't in one of those three downs put the ball in the end zone that I recall. They ran it into the line for no gain. Um, both times I thought Adrian probably should have pulled it on the second down play. And he had two right coming around on the option. It might've been interesting, but third down was just like a horizontal pass from the 10 yard line, you know, on that, that series. And so it's like, that's not going to work. Give at least let Omar or somebody go up and try to make a play. I mean that you brought in a guy like that, uh, you know, to be an NFL type guy who can just go high point of football for you. And these tight ends are those type of guys, like you say, Mike. So yeah, that was disappointing. Adrian, I understand. Adrian was dynamic in the first half. Like he, I don't think they score without him, you know, right. he bailed him out, but then he did miss like four or five plays in the second half. And I don't know what Bruns thought about the overtime series, how it looked on TV when on first down it, he would have had to squeeze the throw in there a little bit. I know what Adrian saw. Cause he did pull it back. He looked at Falk in the seam and then decided not to go there. He would have had to make a good throw, but he had a good shot at it. And then on second down, this just sort of epitomizes Nebraska not getting over the hump in an overtime. They got exactly what they wanted. They had Manning out there in space, with a small corner five yards off of him and the throw is low and Manning has to go to the ground. He catches it, but that should have been a play where if, if it gets him here, you know, if it gets him up, if the throw is higher 
and he has room to he's either first and goal or in the end zone because that guy would have to make a great play in space yeah it, I mean in those situations it just always seems like Nebraska's never able to get in any kind of rhythm on first down like it always just feels like they're just dragging an anchor around and then you're in a bad you're in second and long and I I, I like the play call to on, on second down. I mean, like you said, I mean, if that's a good throw, you're, you're in business there, but I mean, it, it just, uh, I, I think for the most part, the last couple of weeks, I think the games have been relatively well called for the most part, but there's just a drive here or there where it just doesn't make sense. Like th- there's just no flow to it. And I think th- it, it, it's also kind of come at kind of the worst time too, unfortunately um, for, for Nebraska. So I, I'm eager to see what they do with the line. I mean, I obviously in Michigan state really wasn't blitzing much in that game, which is they didn't need to not good. Um, and still getting home, they had seven sacks, double digit pressures. And, you know, Nebraska has got to figure out something with that line. I mean, so, something there is not working. The guard spots, our suspect, Scott Frost said the right tackle spot uh, up for grabs as well. You've got a few options, um, but, you know, if you're going to do something, this seems like the week that, that you need to make something happen, um, especially with back-to-back games at home. And, uh, you know, I think a, a gettable game against Northwestern here is probably going to end up being tight. But, um, you know, just, again, flashes of good, and enough bad to where you just make it a lot more difficult than it needs to be. And you, you find yourself again in a, a one score game that, that probably shouldn't have been. Yeah. I, one more thing with the offense. And I hadn't, I haven't mentioned this yet. They also kind of had a sort of run there. So you, you have the touchdown, you get the stop, you get the ball back. Like that's sort of the drive where you need to just step on the throat of the opponent and put them out. And they ran three plays. Adrian got five yards right off the bat. You got a yard from Ramir Johnson. And then it's third and four. And they get nothing there. And it's just like you had spent prior to that, you had three different drives that had gone over double digit plays. You had so much time Michigan State had been on the field. And it's just like this is where your offensive line, this is where your running game. Like this is everything builds to this moment. This is where you need to be able to go pick up a first down to keep the chains moving, to, to move in that direction. And so then they have to punt, and we know what happens with the punt. But they got the ball back again, and they went three and out again. Or, no, excuse me, maybe they had a first down somewhere in there, like on the first play, and then, you know, three more, and, and you're done. I, it's just – it's amazing. Like, this offense can look like and, – and this sort of speaks to what Brunts was saying – it, it can like link these several drives in a row where it looks like it's finally kind of figured some things out. And then it just can completely flatline. And that's exactly what happened after that touchdown. I mean, I, they basically ran, uh, I think it was 10, 14 plays after that and picked up a first down or maybe two first downs and an interception, two punts, uh, you know, a, another kneel down at the end because they, they had that sack. Like it's just, right there for the offense to take that game and they weren't able to do it. And I, I think that I'm, I'm probably as dismayed by that as I am everything as it relates with the special teams, because you have an opportunity to win and you have an opportunity to put a team away 
And good teams can do that, and bad teams can't. And that's where Nebraska finds itself. I thought it was basically – it reminded me of the Rutgers game from last year against a – Rutgers wasn't as good as Rutgers is this year, but a better team they were playing this time. And where you felt like – remember that Rutgers game for like three quarters that everybody's like, what is this? It like feels like it's just not great. And then at the end you're like, oh, Nebraska's sort of worn them down. I actually thought this was going to be that game after that drive with like eight minutes left where they scored. And you're right, that was the – you know, they couldn't get the dagger down. And that's, that, that's, uh, I don't know that it, it comes back to your, to your old line. I mean, that's, I, I would agree with you as much dismay as there is about the special teams offensive line to me is sort of the biggest disappointment of them all, because I just had higher hopes to this point in the season for him. Scott Frost did too. I mean, you think about what he said in Indianapolis, Offensive line was one of the groups that he said he was most uh, excited by, and that has not not come together yet. What do you do what, this week? In, any good big ideas? Uh, I they're going to change a few things up. I think, like Brunt said, you get a Northwestern team this week. Maybe you try a couple different people out. I, I keep going back to this. If Nebraska is going to rotate its punters, if they rotated quarterbacks last year, if they rotate running backs like a turnstile, why the hell can't they rotate offensive linemen until they figure out what they have? Like this best five stuff doesn't make sense when you don't have five. You don't even know who your best five are. You don't even know if you have a best two. So you should be rotating some of these guys more than they have. And it it was good, you know, when, when Trent Hickson gets pulled and Brant Banks comes in because of another false start. But I, I just think like, I don't understand how you can rotate every other position on the field, but the group that has accumulated the penalties has had the most issues. They're just unwilling or had been unwilling. And so this week, at least it seems like we're going to see some different people out there. And I I don't know if that's going to be better, but it's just weird to me that like you, you literally rotated quarterbacks in games last year, you rotated punters this week. Now you're rotating or now that you wouldn't rotate offensive linemen. So like, it, it feels like that's at least something, whether it works or not, I don't know, but it's better than doing nothing. Well, I think you're going to have, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with Teddy Prohaska this year. I mean, if you feel like he can help you, I mean, this is maybe a chance where he potentially gets in there and gives you something. You have Brock Bando, back for the most part I think he had uh an illness that kept him out for a few weeks he was on I think the field goal unit um against Michigan State he was kind of talked about as a potential option at left guard um you have Noelle as a potential option uh I think Ezra Miller's been playing tackle so I mean maybe he's in the mix at that right tackle spot but yeah you just got to find you got to find somebody that can give you a little aggressiveness in there because it's just, uh, especially left guard has been really hard to watch this year. Um, and, and not only just, you know, the, the run stuff, but Nebraska's struggles with any kind of game and twists and stunts and stuff up front has been really kind of hard to watch, especially on the interior. I mean, I, Adrian Martinez does hold the ball too long at times, but, between him and, and the running backs, it just feels like there's 
way too much, uh, you know, finding def- defenders in the backfield way too early this season. And in defense of Adrian's misses, um, I mean, a part of it's just like you're playing QB and you're like, ah, you know, like the entire time you, you feel like a guy's going to be on your back in a second. So you're, you know, every coach has said this, and I would love to see it. If this O-line could give a little more, give a couple more seconds throwing the football, um, I think you could really see them get some stuff done with some of those receivers if they're healthy. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think you could see some Bando pretty soon if he's healthy. I don't know at right tackle what they're going to do. I think Ben Hart will get to go and he'll maybe have a shorter leash, but, uh, he's going to need a good first half. All right, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's get into special teams. Everyone's favorite uh, discussion point this week. We know what happened. The punt went to the wrong side of the field. But when Brian and I were leaving the stadium at about 1.30 in the morning, he had another thing that he was just lamenting. And I think it sort of speaks to why it's hard to just place any one thing in special teams being an issue as the collective unit has really sort of struggled. Brian, what was the uh, what was sort of the sticking point that you had about Nebraska's special teams beyond just that punt return for a touchdown on Saturday? Was I talking about catching the ball? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I probably had multiple thoughts that were – you never know what's rambling through that. Brain. Well, your first thought is that you realized upon leaving the stadium that you hadn't ate anything since noon. Yeah. That was first thought. That was a problem yeah. for us. And you rectified that at about 2.45 a.m. Yeah, with the what was that thing called? Uh, bumblebee, I, the bumblebee little the bumblebee. can. Yeah, the try that. out in the can. I'd never seen it before, and I don't know if I'll ever see it again. But you seem they're, to be okay with it. They're not bad, but anyway, yeah. Um, Samari Toure was not brought here to catch punts. I mean, that he he can do it, and he's he's good at catching it when he's in under it. Um, but it's something that he took that job basically a few weeks ago because Cam was messing up. Then Oliver Martin's been hurt. And so they're sort of like, let's just get somebody back there who can at least secure the football. And I think Brody Belt, who was doing interviews today, who also catches punts occasionally, um, he nailed it uh, today. They're, they are, they're scared back there. They're, I mean, they're scared to make a mistake. And you guys know that when you lose your stinger at the punt return spot, and I'm not even talking about thinking you're going to take it to the house, but just a guy who's like, I'm going to go up. I'm going to catch this. I know I'm going to catch it. We got the ball. When you don't have that back there, um, basically you just have a guy standing there. Who's like, I, I really don't want to touch this if I don't have to. Um, I don't want to make a big mistake here. So I'm just going to let it bounce. And uh, there are times and places for that but they let this punter average 59 yards a punt because of that. And he punted a lot, as we know. He had a 67-yarder, he had a 65-yarder. And just as bad as the Daniel Cherney punt was when Nebraska took the lead, they get the stop, and they're going to get the ball at about the 40 or 50-yard line in most cases. The ball rolled 20 to 25 yards and if you go up and you catch that punt right there, um, that changes everything. Because even if you're punting on the next series, you ideally can at least punt it into the end zone or something like that. And there's no return like happened. So, yeah, they lost the game as much because of their inability to go up and catch a punt 
as the bad punting itself. They're both, they're both almost were equal to blame. Not quite, but almost. I, Mike Dawson talked after practice today and I, I appreciated his 15 minutes of candor about kind of what's going on. Um, he was, was he, he loud? He was loud. He had a, he had a <laughs> comment in there about even his 13 year old who doesn't really watch football knew that was a bad punt. I mean, they're not, well, he also, he also said that the punt was a death blow for the game, which I was like, man, that's something. But I, I think uh, obviously the punt was not how it was supposed to happen. Um, they have an issue with consistency at punter. Obviously, Daniel Cherney is still figuring things out. Um, Will Pristup has not been consistent enough. We, we had a seven-yard punt and a 20-something-yard punt. Like at that, you're kind of in a tough spot because you you don't want to start doing too much with those guys in terms of messing with their swing and all that other stuff because you probably are just going to create more issues for yourself. But they are a little bit hamstrung with who they have on that roster. I mean, they they don't have. There's not a Sam Foltz or a or Brett Maher or somebody that's going to be running out of that tunnel. Um, the the thing that they knew they do need to get fixed, and he talked about this too, was just catching the punt. Like you have to do it. It's something that they emphasize like crazy, but I, I I agree with Brian. I mean, it it almost has that feeling of like when they're back there, it's like in Wayne's world, when Garth gets stuck by himself on TV and he doesn't know what to say or do. And he's kind of doing that awkward, like, "Eh," like that. (laughs) That's how it feels every punt. And, you know, I, I, you got to find somebody that can catch it somebody that, that has the confidence to do it because I think it's going to be still up and down with the punt unit. Um, I mean, I don't know if you just start kicking it out of bounds or, you know, whatever, but you know, the one thing that you can fix now is you can, you can catch the punt. That's it. I mean, you're, you're in, you're officially in Panico territory. Now you, you got to fair catch it. That's, that's my fix. Pristop kicked it out of bounds. He did. <laughs> they were good. They would have taken a seven-yard punt on that, on that one. They you know, would have. The defense would have probably bailed them out. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, <laughs> the sad, sad realization there. The seven-yard punt would have been better than the thirty-eight yards or whatever it was. But, but it's crazy. They were coming off of a, a week where they won the field position battle against Oklahoma, and then you just but that's get absolute, the thing. Like you just it, get it, bludgeoned the following week in the same category. If Will Pristup never has the seven-yard punt, you don't get to the point where your Australian punter is supposed to kick it to the right, kicks it to the left. Like, it's just – you the, – the stupidity and how these things play out, and when you sit and you just pull all the threads, and it's like, this can only happen at a place like Nebraska. Like, it, it just – nowhere else do you have a scholarship punter who is there on the strength of the special teams analyst that's no longer there because the special teams weren't good enough in 2020. And yet now the special teams are exponentially worse. And this punter, unfortunately for him, who has struggled in several of his games now away from home, kicks the ball to the wrong direction 
and I think Brian said 10, it was, I think nine guys were on the other half of the field. Like it's just, you know, and they can't see it because when you're covering a punt, you don't know where the hell the ball is. You're running to the spot. You're, you know, so there, there's nothing that the coverage unit could do any different. They might as well have been at the bot- botanical gardens like us listening to the roar. <laughs> you would have been able to see that ball up above the stadium from the botanical gardens and just thought to ourselves, yeah, this ain't going to be good. I bet it that's was, going the wrong way. <laughs> it, was, it was even more bizarre watching it on TV because the flood of people that were going towards the, the, the return man where Nebraska was trying to kick it even kind of faked out the TV guy a little bit and enough to where you're like expecting like the guy to fair catch it. And that's the end of the play. But like the, the guy that ended up catching the punt was like barely on the screen. Like it, like the ball disappeared for a little bit. I, I have not. Ne- and this is like after the Rutgers kick return for a touchdown, the Iowa kick return for a touchdown, the Wisconsin kick return for touchdowns where there's been, miscommunications about why they were kicking the, you know, whether they were going to kick to a guy, et cetera. It was, uh, it was like you, you, you took those mistakes and you just like turned it up to 11. Here's what I don't know what to do with it. I'm interested in your guys' opinion. It always, when there, when mistakes happen in any business or any operation, it always comes back to whoever's like in has the office. Right. I mean, that you're ultimately in charge of it and stuff like that. And so I understand that point of it. So I don't want to let the coaches off the hook because that you're ultimately responsible for it. I, I mix that thought with also this, like it, it feels like there, I'm sure Mike Dawson wants to like drop a bowling ball on his foot right about now, or that's what it feels like, because it's just like, you have these guys who are, you, you know, just kick it where you're supposed to. And we're fine here, you know? And so there, there is that part where it's like, there is some responsibility of the person on the field to ultimately just do what you're doing on Tuesday. And I do think they're genuine. Like Sean Becton was sort of exasperated is not the right word, but he's basically saying, look on Monday and Tuesday, this stuff's looking pretty good. Like these punters are kicking the ball 50 some yards and stuff like that. And then it's like on Saturday, it's just like, where it, where is it? You know? And so it's a, I think, I do think there's a bizarre disconnect between what some guys are doing in practices when the lights aren't on and then sort of the, the stage getting to them a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it's tough because you know, you want to, you want to assume that you spend the off season working on special teams. It's going to go better. And then the, the hard thing is it's, every week it's just this different unit, right? Like, you know, last week and, and the week prior, you had issues with field goals. You've had issues with kickoff coverage at times. This isn't the first time that you've had bad punts. Um, so it's just, it, it's hard because you can't just completely punt return. You can't get your arms or it's not like it's just one area, you know, because in the past, like when Nebraska's had special teams issues, it's kind of always felt like it's just been like one thing. But here, it's it's sort of been each week is a different new find. It's uh, whack for- it's whack a mole. That's what it is. It's it's yeah. whack a mole special teams. It's just like, yeah, and that's that's a scary place to be as a coaching staff. 
Yeah, well, and that's that's what's frustrating because it's like, you know, people were kind of getting after Scott Frost for this, but there's no way in hell when he sent his punting team out there that he was thinking that his punter was going to kick it to the wrong side of the field and they would give up a touchdown on it. Like, you know, you're, you're telling people when they're going out there, like, you know, read your keys, make sure you're getting to the spot. This is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. You're not saying, oh, yeah, make sure that your head's on a swivel and the guy's going to kick the ball the wrong direction. It's just uh, coaching. Coaching definitely matters to a point, but also sometimes there's just inexplicable errors. And for Nebraska, the margin is always so small they can't they can't get over it. This weekend. Oh, sorry. No, I also you're talking about a comment Frost made Monday, which he said I wasn't expecting they're going to return one on us. Um, just I want to make sure that context is right on that because I saw it on social media. And I think if you listen to the whole quote, what he was basically saying was he was talking about the offense's inability to four minute drive the game out. And so he was sort of getting to the point like I wasn't even thinking about having to, you know, give up a punt return or cover a punt return because basically let's finish this thing out with the offense. Um, just to, I think that's where he was going with it. But um, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I, I saw that on social media. So I wanted to put that. That's what I think the context of it was. Yeah. And I mean, they had only allowed two punt returns all year too. So it's just, it, it's hard to just assume that in that moment, exactly what transpired was going to uh, let's, let's spend a couple minutes about a game that I think Nebraska is going to have a larger margin for error. And that's against the Northwestern Wildcats in a series that they really haven't had that big of a margin, but this is a bad Northwestern team that has struggled. Uh, Nebraska, if they do not do their usual play down to opponent, has a, a pretty decided advantage against a Northwestern offense that's on its second quarterback. This one, Ryan Holinsky, still isn't throwing for many yards. He was under 100 yards in their win against Ohio on Saturday. They're going to try to focus on getting the running game going. Plays sort of into what Nebraska wants to do. I, I think that this is a game that, you know, for Nebraska, you can maybe release a little pent-up anger. And and if you take care of business on both sides of the ball, you should be able to, to come away with, a, a you know, a, a, like I said, a, a win and, and potentially a sizable win. It would seem that way. Now, Nebraska-Northwestern is always a scary series. Northwestern plays this way with a lot of teams, but if – you guys think about past Nebraska Northwestern games, everybody knows they're always close, but in some of those games, they've been sort of statistical games, just like the one we watched where it was like 450 Nebraska yards, 260 Northwestern. Uh, but it's, you know, losing field position, turning the ball over all that stuff always creeps into these games. So I think Nebraska uh, really needs to get going on, in the first quarter with that offense in a way they haven't been, they've really struggled to, to produce points in the first quarter. And even when they've had some drives, they haven't finished them. And this needs to be a game where you jump out and you have a, like a 10 point lead that you're playing with in the first half and where you're playing downhill and where you're getting the bad vibes out of your system a little bit, because if this is a game where it's like 10 to 10 midway through the third quarter um, and that's totally possible that it could be, you guys know how tense it's going to get in that stadium, um, but they might not be able to avoid it. We're watching a team play an NFL season. That's what we're watching. We're watching a bunch of 2016 games, 
and we've watching a team in Nebraska that's not necessarily built through their lack of the finer details to win those sort of games, unfortunately. I think Nebraska will be fine in this game as long as they avoid a Dean Lowry situation. You don't need, you don't need somebody on Northwestern's roster having the game of their life against you. Um, That one year it was Dean Lowry, Dan Vitale. uh, We talked about him very briefly, Brian and I at practice. Was it today? I think. Um, so I think as long as you can avoid those things, and I think, I mean, Nebraska is probably going to make mistakes in this game, but Northwestern is just kind of a mess right now. And this is, should be a game that Nebraska's defense plays the way that they've been playing that I, I, I think they should be able to win comfortably. And when I say comfortably, I'm talking maybe 10 points, like 14 points. Um, but the way that it's going to get, a little dicey is if you have a Dean Lowry situation, you get that pucker effect in Memorial stadium going. And uh, that that's when you know you're in for four quarters of a pretty tough football. All right. Um, how about this? How about we talk more about Nebraska Northwestern with a special guest on the Husker hype cast on Friday. How's that sound? We can do that. Okay. Great enthusiasm. Love it. Love it. Make sure you bring that kind of enthusiasm brunts to the hype cast, and we're really going to get people fired up. Early Friday morning? Is that when we're doing it? Like yeah, it usually releases around 5 a.m., I think. Okay, I'll get up early. You get up. I mean, you're coming back from the gym. Brunts and I get out of bed for it, so it's a little bit different. But, yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, put together a, we'll put together a good showing. I'll shower. I'll take a shower. I'll do the pod shower after. I'll put something over the chair so it doesn't get – Dirty from the sweat from the workout. That's nice of you. That's, anyway, you're so <laughs> considerate. All right. Uh, well, with that, we'll awkwardly say our goodbyes and we'll tell you to visit Husker 24 7. Uh, there's going to be a big visit weekend. I think people should prepare themselves for that. This is not a uh, drill. This is actually going to happen. Nebraska is going to have a lot of guys on campus on Saturday for this Northwestern game, including some pretty big names in the 2023 class. I think people will want to know more about that. Be sure to get to Husker 24-7. There is uh, already some articles up on it. I'm going to have some more. uh, So people be sure to check that out at the website, as well as all of our coverage leading up to the Northwestern game. And the Hypecast will be on later this week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.